You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and outstanding movie and TV recommendations for whatever ails you. As always, we note here we are not real therapists, but we are movie critics and we're friends with real professional advice givers, including Danny Lavery, a.k.a. Dear Prudence, who will be joining us later on the show. But first, let's get to this letter here, Rafer. Do you want to read it? Yes, I'll read it. Uh, This one comes from Monica. She says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, since the shelter-in-place order back in March, my fella and I have limited our time outside the home and around others. One of the things we miss most is visiting museums. We are fortunate enough to live in an area with an abundance of museum options. Fine art, modern art, science, nature, culture, history. Each museum visit was a mini-adventure. I miss the experience of coming upon something unexpected and fascinating. Discovering something new to us fed our love of learning, which is a large part of both our personalities. And museums offered an opportunity to widen our world, something we especially miss now when it feels like our world has been shrinking. Can you please recommend something that we can enjoy together that will meet that shared need for novelty and wonder? I feel the strain on our relationship from the lack of playful bonding activities. Oh, Monica, I think everybody feels the strain right now on our relationships from the lack of playful bonding activities. Boy, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I used to love to go to museums as well. We didn't do it a ton. You know, we've got we've got kids. Uh, they can only take so much museum time. But um, oh, it was so much fun going to the Museum of Modern Art and seeing something cool. Oh, yeah. Going, I remember seeing the Bowie exhibit back when that came to the Brooklyn Museum. Oh, that was oh, so man. good. That was so that was good. Great. Uh, yeah. No, museums are museums are a big part of my life. I think they're a big part of many people's lives. Yeah. And Monica, I, I have to agree with you. I think they're a great date spot. I mean, I've been on lots of fun dates to like the Science Museum of Minnesota back when I was in college. Uh, I've been to dates at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I've had lots of fun nights at Brooklyn Museum's First Free Saturdays, which essentially is a party for all the single people in Brooklyn where it's like... Oh, yeah. First Saturdays are great. It's like cocktails. It's dancing. It's hot people dressed to the nines. Everyone looking at art and maybe flirting a little bit with each other. Oh, yeah. Uh, Museums can be such a fun way to discover something new, to tap into something neat inside of ourselves, to just see something interesting. And 
And yeah, I'm, I miss them too, Monica. And I don't know. It sounds like I, I'm just imagining maybe you live in D.C. Maybe you're used to going to all those Smithsonian's. That's what I was thinking. I, th- I thought she might live in D.C. Yeah. I mean, although, I mean, lots of cities in America have loads of great museums. It's just D.C. is one of my favorite museum towns. But anywho, en- enough of my thoughts on the matter. We have some movies to prescribe as well, don't we, Rafer? We do. Uh, I'll go first and I'm going to recommend... Uh, a movie from 2006 that you've probably heard of. It's a very lowbrow choice. Uh, I'm going to recommend Night at the Museum, starring Ben Stiller. I knew you were going to do that, Rafer. <laughs> Nobody else can see your face right now, but it's this kind of sheepish, I'm not going to make eye contact with you on the screen right now sort of thing where I'm like, he's about to say Night at the Museum. I can't help it. I, I felt like I was supposed to come up with the, you know, the Frederick Wiseman movie, National Gallery or something, you know. <laughs> Or the one about the the one about the Northern European one that came out the, that documentary that came out a few years ago. I I know I'm supposed to recommend something sort of intellectual, but I I, I really like Night at the Museum, um, and I know it's a kids movie, but I think it's good enough for adults to enjoy on their own. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'll tell you the story uh, very quickly. Uh, ben Stiller plays Larry Daly. He's a divorced dad. He never had a steady job, and he's trying to set a good example to his son. So he he decides to take a steady job. And the only job he can get is night watchman at the American Museum of Natural History here in New York, which seems kind of like a boring job, a little bit low effort, but it pays okay. So what the heck? Uh, And of course, it turns out that every night the museum comes to life. The little Roman soldiers jump off their dioramas. The big dinosaur skeleton gets off his pedestal and starts wagging his bony tail. And of course, Teddy Roosevelt comes to life and he's played by Robin Williams. Um, and there's a subplot here where, you know, or I guess it's actually the plot, but it's a, there's an ancient Egyptian stone tablet that powers the life of the museum and some criminals want to steal it. Here's a clip. Oh, my, prepare the catapults. Whoa, Octavius, hold on, this ain't your fight. This here giant's on our land. Hey, hey, little guy, Jed, yeah, sorry, look, I just, I'm not a giant, okay? I'm just like an average size. Don't talk down to me. I'm not a giant, guys, all right? You guys are really little. We may be small, but our hearts are large, metaphorically speaking. Don't take that the wrong way. I'm just saying you're miniature. Silence! The Roman Empire knows no boundaries. Oh, you do it, son. Do what? Octavius? Don't do what? Unleash hell! Rafer, I just love it when you go for the obvious. So often you go for the, the <laughs> obscure, for the unique, for the foreign film. I just love that you chose Night at the Museum for this. I love it. I, well, here, here's the thing about it. I mean, it, the great thing about it is is I know it's a little junky and a little gimmicky. It's, it's not what you'd call a critical favorite. This is no Toy Story we're no, talking about here. it is not. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> the museum comes to life and it's really kind of irresistible. And it, and even though it's all a lot of CGI and it's and it does have a kind of a gimmicky look to it, um, there's something really appealing about this idea that if you stayed at the museum after it was all closed and everybody was gone, that there'd be this magical world that would open up to you. And, you know, like I say, it's good for kids, but there's also some adult humor in it. Um, I think some of the best scenes involve uh, Owen Wilson, 
who plays a little diorama cowboy, and Steve Coogan, who plays a little diorama Roman soldier, and they team up together to, you know, contribute to the mission, and they're really funny. And I think Robin Williams is pretty good as Teddy Roosevelt. You know, he does his whole smiles through tears thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's good. Um, so I like the movie. I will say um, the sequel does pl- take place at the Smithsonian, and that's pretty good. That's the one that has Amy er- uh, Amy Adams as Amelia Earhart. Um, I would avoid number three, where they all go to London. That sucked. But uh, number one, number two, those are both pretty good. Night at the Museum. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and Kristen, what do you what do you got? What do you got that's so great? I'd like to know. I'm not going to say mine is a better choice. Um, <laughs> it, it's not. It, it's a TV series, but it, it is award-winning. I will say that. Okay. Um, I am choosing Museum Secrets. It ran from 2011 to 2014, and it is currently free on Amazon Prime. It's free on several BBC channels. You know how the BBC has like 800 channels, yeah. and even on the Smithsonian Channel. So if you're not familiar with it, Museum Secrets is a documentary series, and in each episode, they travel to one of the world's greatest museums in search of the mysteries behind the objects. Uh, from the Vatican Museum to the Topkaki Palace Museum in Turkey to the Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York. And in addition to being a TV series, it's also a website with videos and games. Here's a clip. New York the world capital of power and style, and at its heart, a museum with secrets dark and strange. A nude statue linked to murder. This was the granddaddy of all tabloid stories. It had a love triangle, violence, betrayal. The mysterious power of an Egyptian temple. There is behind this wall an empty chamber. It's a hidden chamber. A suit of armor that sheds new light on the bloodlust of Henry VIII. After the accident, a personality change occurred. They become irritable, violent, unpredictable. Secrets hidden in plain sight inside the Metropolitan Museum. Get me Geraldo. Where's Geraldo? (laughs) Open up those vaults. Geraldo. <laughs> I know. It sounds totally like that, doesn't it, Reefer? It sounds <laughs> it very really does. Dateline NBC. Are the aliens real? Find out. Open this vault in the back of the museum where people possibly died. And that's part of what makes this show so fun because sure. it takes something that I think a lot of people feel like museums are not for them. They're too snooty. They're right. shut off places where only the rich and cultured and the highly educated people are really, really welcome. And when you watch Museum Secrets, you don't feel that way. You feel that <laughs> this is not so hoity-toity. Anybody can enjoy the secrets of the museum with Museum Secrets. And, <laughs> and that's part of the joy of it. And you will actually discover stories that you didn't know about certain things. You will see things that aren't usually on display. You'll see the evil and menace of a thousand years escaping into the universe as they open up a mummy, for example. You'll oh. see all sorts of things like that. Oh, yeah, don't open it. up those mummies. Don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> that's true. Have you learned nothing? But they do it in this show. They do it in Museum Secrets. They do oh. all sorts of things. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like it. Yeah. It's it's a really fun show and, um, again, not very high-minded, even though it is an award-winning Canadian series. It's just a lot of fun. It really is. All right. So we've got 
two good sort of lowbrow virtual museum picks for you. Uh, from me, <laughs> Night at the Museum, and from Kristen, the television show, Museum Secrets. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do, a reminder that we love it when you give us five stars and review us in Apple Podcasts. For example, Cheska UR recently gave us five stars and wrote, I absolutely love this show. It is my new go-to. Each episode makes me smile and laugh. I'm not even into movies that much, but I just love their interactions and the advice they give. Well, thank you very much, Cheska. You are. Uh, that is uh, high praise. You're not even into movies that much, and you're still listening to the show. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that makes me feel good. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe our advice isn't that questionable, Rafer. <laughs> yes, it is. it is. No, it definitely is. <laughs> you're right. It definitely is. <laughs> All right. Well, stay with us. When we're back, we're joined by the great Danny Lavery of the Dear Prudence Podcast. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Well, or call the police. Or call the police like she should have, <laughs> exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Hey, everybody, we're back, and we have a letter that made us want to call in some backup support. And what better backup support could we ask for than Danny Lavery, host of Slate's Dear Prudence podcast? Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Danny, we are so excited to have you here with us today. We're both huge fans of your podcast, but for those who aren't familiar with it, tell us about it. I would be delighted to. It is a weekly show where uh, I tell other people what they should do with their problems for about an hour, and I'm going to by, joined rather uh, by a different guest every week, and they usually agree. Usually, though, the, if there's a problem on the show, it's that both my guests and I say, "Yeah, this seems like this seems like the right answer," and we just sort of agree at one another until it's time to move on. Um, and that's pretty much it. It's usually just a handful of problems that we try our best to sort through and then we move on with our lives and never revisit it again. What I love about your show, Danny, is that there is such a nice mix of wisdom and also just like telling it like it is when it needs to happen, which occasionally people just need to be told it, you know, told it like it is. But you really have a great balance of that empathy and that kindness and also just 
you know, telling it like it is. Thank you. And I often need to be told like it is. So I can relate to that, certainly. (laughs) Okay. Now, Danny, you also have a book that just came out a few months ago. So tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier this year, um, my third book came out, which was called Something That May Shock and Discredit You. And it's a collection of essays about a lot of different things, mostly religion and transition and Star Trek um, and Greek (laughs) mythology, which is a lot of fun. Uh, It feels, of course, like a million years ago because it came out right before lockdown started. Um, So obviously this book was written a thousand years ago and um, we've all crumbled into dust since then. Danny, you are graciously here uh, with us today to help us with a letter that we think you'll really shine with. And Kristen, I'll let you read this one. All righty. This letter writer has asked that we call her Now What? Now What writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm a 28-year-old cis female in the Southwest. Per your recommendation, I watched the movie The Half of It on Netflix. It was a beautiful movie, and it unexpectedly caused me to have a reckoning with my own sexuality. I've always publicly identified as straight, but inside I've been attracted to women as well since the age of 13. I've only told some people, including my husband, but usually downplayed it. But literally, once the movie ended, I cried on the couch with my husband and told him that I've been repressed all this time and that I'm sad that I never embraced myself as bisexual. We're newlyweds and we're monogamous, so the timing is not great to have this freak out, but my husband was kind and supportive all the same. He's not ready to open up the relationship, and I'm content with that for now, but still, I'm simultaneously happy to be accepting my identity and yet grieving that I never expressed it sooner. Do you have a movie to recommend with a bisexual character that's either in a similar situation as me or can show me that there's no one perfect way to be bisexual? feel free to offer something completely different if you think it will help. Danny, um, as you know, with everybody who writes in, we try to not just offer a movie, we also try to offer a bit of advice to folks. And we know that you're very wise and um, <laughs> and answer a lot of questions on your show that are not that different from this one. So we're so glad you're here to help us today. Oh, good, good. I'm so glad. I, I definitely... I, I was very glad that you chose this answer for, for our episode today. And I I was torn between like, yes, I think I have a couple of movies for you. And also, I don't have any movies for you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's first talk about before the movies. Let's talk about, you know, any advice or wisdom that we have for our letter writer here. Now what? Um, between the three of us, I'm sure we all have a little bit of wisdom, right? I'm sure. So this is a pretty tough letter. Um, and, you know, uh, it's, it's difficult because part of me hears this as someone who has repressed an entire part of herself for much of her life and has really missed out on something and is really grieving with that and, and, and trying to bring it to the fore and, and stand up and stand tall and announce something, which takes a lot of guts. Um, on the other hand, this person is married. And, you know, I don't know if I am the person to tell you what to do about your marriage. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's a tough conundrum to be in. Yeah, it is tough. But, you know, there are so many different kinds of ways to be bisexual. And most people who are bisexual and married did end up with somebody who identifies as one gender or the other. Sure. 
And so, you know, there are lots of people who are already doing it. And I would highly recommend to now what to talk with some of those people. There are support groups. There are people writing about their experiences. There are a lot of uh, therapists out there who can talk all of this through with you. You don't have to go through this alone. And Danny, you get a lot of letters like this. Um, what do you have to say about this, Danny? I, I think mostly my first response to this letter was was something along the lines of like, movies are great, and I'm I'm deeply, you know, glad that that movie provided you with an opportunity to have that huge moment with your husband. And I want you to be able to watch lots of movies with lots of different types of um, people and relationships in them. And I also think, uh, you know, if part of what the question is is like. You know, I told my husband it felt really big and really fraught. I'm also really scared. We just got married. I'm worried about experiencing this as even something potentially threatening to our new relationship. Um, And so is there a way that I can make sure this just stays in the realm of I feel really emotional while I watch movies and nothing else changes? And that I, I cannot promise you and wouldn't want to promise you. I don't know what this is going to mean for your relationship or for the rest of your life. So... Um, yeah, you know, I, I think my first piece of advice would really be to talk to other people besides your husband, um, a lot and, and to not downplay it and to really seek out other people and other queer people in your life. Um, so that is not something that you just, you know, once a month I go cry about an intense bisexual movie and then I, Mm -hmm. you know, just put it back away. Yeah. Um, and, and so that being said, the first two movies that came to mind, of course, were Imagine Me and You, um, which, again, you may find delightful and you may find totally dispiriting because it's about, you know, Piper Perabo leaving her husband for a woman she meets on her wedding day. Oh, um, my God. Can I just interrupt for a second, Danny? Please. Yeah. That that was my pick as well. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And for those who aren't familiar with Imagine Me and You, it's um, from 2005 And in it, Piper Parabo plays Rachel. She's a woman who's getting married to her longtime sweetheart and best friend, Hector. And she believes that love is an active verb. It's something we decide on. It's something we build on every day. But all that changes when she meets Lucy on her wedding day. Lucy is a florist. And she experiences for the first time with Lucy what feels like love at first sight. And for the remainder of the movie... Rachel really wrestles with her feelings of being a newly married woman, married to her best friend, and of loving someone who's not her husband and trying to juggle those kinds of feelings. So let me play a clip real quick. Hi. No, no, you're not happy to see... You can't... I don't want you to be happy to see me. Okay. Okay. So... So I'm here because I don't know what's going on. I don't... You make me feel something, something I absolutely cannot feel. I'm married... I'm married, for Christ's sake. I have a husband, this man that I... This lovely guy, he's done nothing wrong. I I was wondering if you could help me. I'm hoping to start a herb garden. It's pretty cornerstones. Not much light. These, these. On the house, go. Okay, so do you see? You you have to see. I, I can't do this. I can't actually do this. So whatever it is or was, it's got to stop, and it's got to stop now, do you understand? It's over. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it was just like it's it's a rom com. It's a it's got Piper Parabo and Lena Haiti. It's got Matthew Good in it. Um, it's very charming. The music's great. It's very silly. It's very sweet. 
Um, and that sort of seemed like uh, something like what the letter writer was asking about. Um, there's not like millions of that type of movie out there. And, and often they're not good. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really terrible game movies out there. So um, I, I think that was part of why I was like, yeah, no, this is like a cute rom-com. This can stand on its own with, you know, 27 dresses or something. Yeah. I also just want to, you know, throw out a reminder that movies are not um, all uh, created with the with the goal of, you know, instructing viewers on here are some good ways that you can live your life. So I think if you go into any of these with that attitude, you might end up causing more problems for yourself. I think especially because, you know, movies tend to want to pick what is the most dramatic thing, what is going to be compelling to watch. And often that's going to look like having a big realization, blowing up your life and leaving your spouse. So I think a lot of movies that you watch along these lines will potentially feel like, God, all they ever do is leave their partners. And it's like, you know, yes, that's movies. Um, <laughs> so so, so I, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of movies about somebody having a realization and then saying, like, I know how to incorporate this into my pre-existing marriage. Everything's great. Um, so if that's something that you want or if that's a goal of yours, uh, I, I don't know that movies are going to do that for you, at least not at the level of plot. So... Um we have one movie recommendation here, and we also have the Danny's wisdom of, you know, make sure that you're not just talking with your husband. Make sure you're not just watching movies. Uh, you know, talk with other people. Talk with other queer people. And I think this is all excellent stuff. But um, I'm curious, Rafer, what movie did you come up with here for our our writer here? Well, I'm going to recommend one of my favorite movies of the last 20 years, possibly. Uh, it's from 2010. It's called The Kids Are All Right. Um, I know this is a film that uh, Danny Lavery has got to be familiar with. Uh, you too, Kristen. I know you love this film. I, I know it, but it, it wasn't actually um, on my list. So I'm, I'm glad that you threw it on there. Mm. Uh, so it's from a director named Lisa Cholodenko. Uh, she is a gay filmmaker, although her two best-known films, this one and also High Art, another great film, both deal with bisexuality and kind of in a fairly similar way. Uh, so this movie, The Kids Are All Right, it's about two women. They're married. Nick, played by Annette Benning, Jules, played by Julianne Moore. They live in L.A., Nick's a doctor. Jules is a stay-at-home mom. They've got two kids um, whose names I love. One is Joni, played by Mia Wasikowska. The other is Laser, played by Joss <laughs> Hutcherson. Well, one day, these kids decide to track down their sperm donor. And the guy turns out to be a pretty nice, laid-back, kind of Gen X hipster type named Paul, played by Mark Ruffalo. So you can see we've got one of the best casts in the entire world here in this <laughs> film. Uh, and the two moms aren't happy about this, but... They want to try to welcome this guy into their lives, and it seems to be making their kids happy, so okay. Uh, and then something unexpected happens. Jules and Paul start having an affair. Here's a clip. So how'd you two meet? Uh, we met at UCLA. I was a resident, and uh, <laughs> Jules had an emergency. My tongue was numb. Oh, really? <laughs> Laser. Oh, my God. Not nice. No, that's not nice. We've heard that story a hundred thousand times. What happened to your tongue? I don't know. I mean, I um, I lost all the feeling in my face and then my <laughs> tongue, and then I, you know, I got really nervous because I thought that I was gonna gag and, you know, maybe like, like choke, yeah, die. Exactly. Yeah. What'd you do to help her? I gave her a Valium and I told her to relax and tried to get her to talk. You know, move her tongue around. Yeah, actually, she started teasing me, and that really helped. 
I was trying to distract you. I know, and it worked. You were really funny. You were really pretty. <laughs> and then, you know, my tongue started working again. <laughs> this is such an outstanding movie. So complicated. And I yeah. know that it's been the subject of a lot of criticism, too, because, you know... Uh, yes. And I'm sure part of that's just because there are not a ton of movies out there with bisexual characters front and center. And when there are, they can really be scrutinized a lot for what seems realistic, what doesn't seem realistic, what messages the sending and so on. But sure. um, despite all that, I got to agree with you. This this is a really great movie, I think. I think all the acting is fantastic in this movie. Yes. Um, I just, yeah, I... I got to take my hat off to every actor in this movie. They do such a great job, and the writing is so good. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Stuart Bloomberg is the guy who wrote the script. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting movie because everything in this film is so uh, unlabeled. And um, one of the things I like about it is that Jules, you know, you and I would identify her perhaps as bisexual because clearly she has spent much of her life sleeping with a woman and now she's having an affair with a man. But it's it's far from clear whether she would identify herself as bisexual. You know, it, 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 I'm not even sure that word is ever really used in the film. But, um, you know, here is someone who is um, torn between two people, uh, one of one gender and one of another. And, um, you know, she she makes a choice, I'll just say, that may or may not be the choice um, that our listener uh, will make. Um, but it's a very interesting movie. And I, I think it's, you know, as you say, Kristen, it's, you know, the, the, the acting, the filmmaking, the writing just could not be better. So that's my choice. The kids are all right. Excellent. And Danny, you said you had one other movie that you wanted to throw into the mix as well. Tell us what that is. Oh, I just wanted to add, just because I, I think it's fun and, and maybe would be different enough from what the letter writer is kind of seeking out right now, that it could just be an example of like, here is just a, a movie that does not have much to do with what is going on in your own life, but that does, um, I think, fall under the rubric of there's lots of different ways to be bisexual. It's called Plan B. Um, it's from 2009. It's um, an Argentinian movie, so you'll potentially need to watch it with subtitles. Um, and it, it involves uh, a young guy who's really upset that his um, ex-girlfriend has a new boyfriend, so he decides that he's going to uh, fuck it up for them. Um, and first he thinks he's just going to seduce her and sleep with her again, and then he changes his mind and decides that he's um, going to do a plan B, uh, and he's going to seduce her new boyfriend. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, Obviously, you know, things get more complicated, um, but it's very, very, I, I find it very charming. I find it very charming and it's a very sort of like, I don't know if it was quite like mumblecore, but I associate it very much with like the sort of like 2009, 2010, lots of hanging out in living rooms, having like long-winded, aimless conversations type of movie that I was watching a lot of at the time. And um, uh, I, I hope that you enjoy it. And um, Oh, my gosh. Hold on. What is that title one more time, Danny? Plan B. Plan B. Oh, my gosh. Any final words of wisdom for our letter writer here before we uh, say goodbye to Danny? I mean, mostly just like congratulations on having that conversation. That's just really hard, especially when you just got married and you feel worried that like now is not the right time. Um, so I'm just really, really glad and, and happy for you, letter writer, that you talked about it. And I hope that you keep talking about it. All right. So... Uh, once again, our recommendations are from Danny Lavery and from Christian, Imagine Me and You. Also, from Danny, Plan B. And from me, the kids are all right. <laughs>
Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a delight. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Reminder, Danny's show is called Dear Prudence. Danny also offers his wisdom in written form in Slate's Dear Prudence column. And his newest book is called Something That May Shock and Discredit You. All right, we're going to take another quick break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, raferandkristen.com, and fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. And if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. When we're back, we will have our weekly What Should I Watch Next letter. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canales, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Rashad King, Lee Daniels, Roslyn Chow, Clancy Brown, Harvey Smith, Ike Barrels, David Arquette, Thomas Melody, Prince and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. Yeah, Film Vault. We are one of the original film podcasts. That can't be true. There was like two other film podcasts when we began, Brian. How long have we been doing this show? You and I first sat down and did a version of the show over 20 years ago. My God. There is shtick, but it's very little shtick. We finish each other's sandwiches. Close enough. Was that a joke on a movie? That, yeah, that's from uh, Frozen. Oh, it is. Pretty bad. Ugh. Oh, look at you. I don't want to be like quoting and, Frozen Anderson, on this Anderson, promo. Okay, peek behind the curtain. Anderson's nope. like the Frozen guy. Like He'll constantly reference animated films, family films, and I'm more the edgy indie guy. We do have the tropey thing going on where Brian does like the big Hollywood sexy summer movies. I'm always looking for like the hidden gems. Mm. Two episodes each week. One. We review movies and the first episode and the second one, top five time. Top five, different top five every week. Movies that made you cry. Worst movie accents. Most disturbing movies. All right, The Film Vault, check it out. Wherever you find a fine podcasts. That's right, The Film Vault's going on 20 plus years. We're back, and it's time for our What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. Kristen, you take this one. All righty. So this letter is from Martina. Martina says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I was lucky to recently catch a screening of a promising young woman at a near-empty cinema in my area. Don't worry, I wore a mask the whole time and sat far away from the two other people in my theater. I loved the story of a young woman out to avenge her friend's rape and teach the potential rapists of the world a lesson. I also loved that the movie seemed to be shot from a female POV versus a voyeuristic male POV, like I Spit on Your Grave or The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, both of which I hated. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. Are there other movies or TV shows you'd recommend in the same vein? What should I watch next? This is a moviegoer we got right here. We got someone who went out to the movies, yes. saw, a, saw a promising young wow. woman. 
uh, sort of a sort of a not uh, I don't think uh, that well known mainstream. You know, it's been a big critical hit. Yes. Uh, you know, polarizing kind of movie a little bit. Um, Sundance hit got picked up. Oh yeah. It was supposed to be uh, out in April. COVID scrapped that. Then they released it Christmas Day. Um, by the way, just so everyone knows, it's coming out on um, home video for rental uh, for a VOD on January fifteenth. So yes. um, you can rent that at home. Um, and I just love the fact that this is a, a person who um, not only knows Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and hated it, which is the correct response. Um, <laughs> oh, Reaper, but... <laughs> I didn't know you hated it. <laughs> I did not like I did not like that movie. No, and also knows I Spit on Your Grave, an extremely, you know, uh, cult, you know, cult classic from what is that, the 50s, I think, 50s or 60s. Oh, um, gosh, I, I don't know. I know they remade it a few times. Aren't there like 10 remakes of that? Movie? Oh, maybe there was a remake. That's right. You might be right, Kristen. Maybe this person is thinking of the remake. Anyway, who goes to see anything called I Spit on Your Grave? I, I commend you. <laughs> I commend you, Martina, our listener, nonetheless, whether it's the original remake. It's a good good job. Good job going to the movies. Thank you for that. Now, have you seen A Promising Young Woman, Rafer? I have. Have you? So have I. Yes, I have. You, you have. All right. Well. Oh, my mm, gosh. We can... I, I, I am so curious to hear what you think about this movie, Rafer. I was a little so-so on it, Kristen. What? Was a little so no, so. You are, you are incorrect there, <laughs> Rafa Guzman. Film critic extraordinaire sometimes gets it wrong, but well, I gotta say, and you, so you liked it. Oh, I loved it. I, I I will also confess, I have been looking forward to seeing this ever since I first learned about it. Me too. Um, it was being written up like crazy yep. at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, there were so many interviews being done back then. That was like, what was that, more than a year ago? I know. It's, um, yeah. And the first trailers that came out uh, yes. during COVID, I was just like, I need to see this movie. This movie yes. looks so good. It stars Carrie Mulligan. I'm a huge Carrie Mulligan fan. Oh, yeah. She's terrific. She goes to uh, bars and nightclubs, um, pretends to be inebriated when guys try to bring her home. She teaches them a lesson. And I got to say, that's pretty darn gratifying. It's yes. It's a great premise. Really, really fun to watch. And as the movie goes along, she ups the ante and ups the ante some more. And I loved it. And I agree with you, Martina. I didn't feel like there was any gratuitous raping or anything like that. Um, no, no, there's nothing like that. It was really um, great. It was really about her and the journey she was on. Uh, and I, I loved it, Rafer. I'm sorry that you thought it was so-so. I loved it. I loved it. I, I, I thought it was a movie with a, with a fantastic premise, a really, a really provocative and interesting premise that just didn't quite deliver the goods to me. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I, I, won't, I won't rag on it too hard because it's not like I hated it. Um, I just, I really thought it, I really thought it could have gone to some, um, shocking button pushing uh more upsetting places that I, that places i wanted it to go and i just didn't feel like it quite had the fortitude to do it that's what i would that's what i would say about the movie mm. but i still love carrie mulligan and she she just she's a great she's a great performance from her in this movie oh she is and also a great use of paris hilton's song stars are blind yeah. in this movie <laughs> yeah, i love that song. and toxic britney spears <laughs> yeah, toxic so for that good. matter so good as well as uh, angel right. of the morning during the grand finale of the movie <laughs> that too oh such a good soundtrack <laughs> anywho enough of that reefer i want to know what you are going to tell martina to watch next after a promising young woman Okay, uh, Martina, I'm going to recommend a movie to you from 2016 that I feel um, I won't say it. I won't say it. 
it's not the same premise as Promising Young, young Woman at all, but I think it's got I think it's got a little more uh, a little more stomach to it, is what I would say. It's a movie called L from Paul Verhoeven. Kristen, do you know this movie? No, I don't. Uh, it was a it was a it was a bit of a talker in 2016. It's got Isabelle Huppert. Mm, um, she's great. And, I love her. I know she's fantastic. Uh, here's the story. Uh, she plays a woman named Michelle LeBlanc. She's a successful businesswoman living in Paris. She's uh, somewhat older. I'm, I'm thinking Isabelle Huppert might have been 60, possibly, at uh, the making of this film. Um, and one night, a guy in a ski mask uh, breaks into her home, beats her, and rapes her. This is the first thing I'm pretty sure that happens in the film. And when it's over, Michelle gets up, cleans up her house, and just goes on with her life. In fact, she doesn't seem to care pretty much at all. And as the film goes on, we learn a little bit more about Michelle because we're kind of wondering what kind of woman would react this way. It turns out she has a pretty lousy relationship with her mom. Um, she's sort of estranged from her son. She's cheating with her best friend's husband. And also, strangest of all, uh, her father is a mass murderer who is about to have a parole hearing and might be getting out of jail. Uh, this is one reason why Michelle does not go to the police. Um, Michelle's business, by the way, she is the head of a video game company that makes these kind of gross, semi-pornographic video games that uh, really exploit and demean women. So we kind of get this sense that Michelle is a problematic person, possibly damaged. Uh, I can't play you a clip here because the whole movie's in French. Uh, but the twist that comes in this movie is when Michelle discovers the identity of her rapist. And what she does next, because I don't want to spoil anything, is very, very interesting. And that's all I'll say about it. Ooh. You know what I love about the whole premise of this movie, Rafer, is that so many movies paint somebody who has been the victim of sexual assault as just the victim. And that's their whole identity for the whole story, whether it's a book or a movie or whatnot. That is exactly right. And that's all they were. And uh, there's always the perfect victim like, oh, she was just a teenage girl walking home from school. And right. we never get to hear about all of the contradictions and the complications and all the other things that make us human. We're all full of those contradictions and all those things that make us not a perfect victim. And so I love that this is a movie where it's showing all that, where she's a lot of different things. Yeah, it, that that's really, I think, a, a, one of the big points of this movie. And I think what's great about it, um, this character, is that she just never does what you you think she's supposed to do. You know, we're, we we expect her to break down and cry. She never does. We we expect her life to be destroyed, but it isn't. And we keep wondering, like, what's wrong with this woman? And we're not sure if it's that nothing's wrong with her or if this woman is this this rapist has finally met a woman who is possibly even sicker than he is or if that Michelle just absolutely doesn't give a shit. Uh, it's really difficult to tell. Um, I think, like I say, I think the movie takes a little fortitude. I think it's not going to be an easy watch, um, but it's a great movie, very thought-provoking, very provocative, as Paul Verhoeven always is. Um, and I think it could be a really great counterpoint to uh, Promising Young Woman. Mm, interesting. All right. And Kristen, what about you? I'm very curious to hear what you're going to prescribe. Well, immediately when I saw this letter, my 
mind just went to one place, and that is Hard Candy from 2005. Oh, of course, of course. And Hard Candy, at the moment of this taping, it's free on Tubi right now and a few other places. Um, Otherwise, I think you have to buy it or um, pay to rent it. But Hard Candy stars Elliot Page as a 14-year-old named Haley Stark and Patrick Wilson, who plays a 32-year-old photographer named Jeff. And the two meet online in what feels like maybe a flirtatious back and forth. And then they end up meeting in real life. He takes her back to his house. The two have drinks. But before you know it, he's lost consciousness. And when he wakes up, he's bound to a chair. Haley explains that she drugged him because she knows he is a pedophile, a rapist, and a murderer. Here's a clip. You've been stalking me. (laughs) Okay. All right, let's get this straight. You have been stalking me. I went into other chat rooms with different nicknames. And you would get to know each woman. And then as soon as you found out they were any bit older than me, you would just drop them like that. You took your time sniffing out someone my age. I didn't talk to the others because they were boring. You and I connected. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, come on. You think I faked all that? You know, actually, it's it's kind of funny. Because every time I would mention some, like, obscure singer or band, you knew so much about them. But not right away. It was, like, a few minutes later. Maybe to give you enough time to look them up on the web. Jeff... You used the same phrases about Goldfrap as they do on Amazon.com. Busted. By the way, I fucking hate Goldfrap. This is a great movie, and I remember being really tickled by this movie when it first came out because it's really just a two-hander. It's just the two of them oh, it is, uh, throughout yeah. the whole movie, and it's and it's it it's got that it's got that great um, magical balance that very few movies are able to achieve, where it feels a little bit like a movie and a little bit like a play mm-hmm. in the best possible way. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I mean. I avoided this movie for many, many, many years, Rafer, because I was... Oh, a, really? Yeah, I, I didn't know enough about it. I was afraid it was going to be some movie where a kid gets raped and I have to watch it. Or, you know, I just... Right. I was really scared of it. And then finally, I, I sat down and watched it a couple of years ago and I thought, this is brilliant. All of the writing is brilliant because it almost feels like a cat and mouse game. At one point, you're like, hold on, maybe he is innocent. Oh, no. Totally. He's not innocent at all. Of course he's not innocent. He was chatting online with a girl. Of course he's not innocent. But then there's like the back and forth. And um, there is a lot of, I will just say it, um, psychological torture that may also be physical torture in this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, it is very gratifying to watch. I'm just going to say it. I <laughs> If you if you want to see bad Go ahead and say it, Kristen. Say it. If you want to see see bad guys get theirs, oh yeah, you're going to see bad guys get theirs in hard candy and you're going to cheer 
as they get theirs because they deserve it. And um, I will add that uh, the movie is directed by a man, by David Slade. But I do have to give it credit for not falling into the trap of, you know, the typical Hollywood male POV in this movie. It does not feel like this is yeah. uh, gratuitous sex and violence all for the male gaze. Um, it really just feels like this is a great story, great writing, great acting, and somebody who deserves to get theirs getting it. So, Martina, I think you're going to like Hard Candy. I think so, too. Uh, all right. So there's two recommendations from Kristen Hard Candy from me, L. All right. And I guess that's it then for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Well, yes. And thanks again to Danny Lavery for joining us. And to thanks to everyone who wrote into us. Yes. And reminder, you can write us as well, either on our website, RaferAndKristen.com, or via Twitter at RaferGuzman or at Kristen Meinzer. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories that when sewn together form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood. Available now wherever you get podcasts. Mm -hmm.